Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Barclay. Obtaining reliable information about the level of COVID in China is not easy. But there's one thing we know for sure. China's strict zero COVID policy has not led to zero COVID. The World Health Organization estimates that in the spring of 2022, cases rose by about 25%. And as more people become infected, the response from the authorities has become more strict. In the busy southern city of Shenzhen, for example, most factories were ordered to close for a week and pupils were sent home from schools and colleges. Things were even worse in the largely industrial province of Jilin, which has faced a near total lockdown. Even Shanghai, China's business and commercial hub, was severely affected. All this is a blow to the Chinese economy, just as much of the rest of the world seems to be getting back to normal. So, from the point of view of international investors, these are worrying developments, especially as so many other countries depend on Chinese supply chains for vital goods and services. I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast this week Janet Mew from Bruin Dolphin. She's the head of market analysis at that company, based in London, which advises investors around the world. Janet, welcome to China in Context. Thanks, Duncan, for having me, and a hello to all the audience. Firstly, can I ask for your perspective on China's zero COVID policy? What do you think are its implications for business? Yeah, I think it is a very worrying situation because, as we all know, China is the mother of all supply chains. So it will affect the global economy in indirect ways. I mean, we are starting to see a recovery in the global supply shortages. Uh, and that was because China was operating as normal before, right? And now we are seeing this COVID lockdowns affecting major cities like Shanghai, Shenzhen. I mean, these are all industrial and technology hubs, right? So I think uh, the global investors will be worried about uh, companies manufacturing bases. For example, Tesla has to suspend its uh, car manufacturing for, for a prolonged period of time. So that will have consequences for the global trade. You're absolutely right. Tesla, Toyota has been affected. Shanghai Disney Resort has been closed indefinitely. Uh, and there's disruption to factory output too. So how significant is all this going to be for the Chinese economy? Yeah, it is going to be pretty significant. I mean, we already start to see slowdown in the Chinese economy is pretty evident in a number of measures, whether you're talking about uh, surveys, you're talking about uh, hard data, we all start to see that the slowdown. And I think, you know, this lockdowns recently are significant. For example, Shanghai is 4% of China's GDP. And as you mentioned, you know, a lot of car manufacturers are based in the regions that are in shutdown. Uh, and not just car manufacturers, but you're talking about uh, uh, manufacturers of chemicals, of electronics. So, so these are all very important inputs of the global manufacturing production activity. So that will definitely have a hit. Um, I suspect uh, in the next couple of months, we'll start to see more severe slowdown in the Chinese data because you're effectively shutting down the second biggest city. Uh, so the services sector will be hit, the manufacturing sector, and all the connected supply chains within China. That, that's pretty bad. So the Chinese government has got a growth target, 5.5% for this year. How likely is it to achieve that goal? Well, I think that if they set the target, they will make sure that they will at least achieve it, uh, in my opinion, because they do have policy tools to support the economy. And I think 5.5 is actually not 
uh, that high a target. It, it is actually pretty modest uh, by by uh, historical standard. I think a lot of economists, you know, when they describe the target, it is a modest target. You know, they have been trying to defend eight percent, seven percent, and now only five point five percent. So what we think is that they will try to achieve it. Obviously, as I mentioned, there will be growth challenges in the coming months. But I think they still have leeways in terms of monetary policy and some sort of targeted fiscal policy to support the economy. So I would say uh, they could they they could probably maintain it, especially this year is a very important year for President Xi Jinping. You know, in autumn we have the National Congress where he's looking for another term. I think it's interesting when you say that if the government set a five and a half percent growth target, they will achieve it. Do you think that they might? say that they've achieved it by manipulating the data? I, I think, you know, I get that question a lot. I think it, it is actually very difficult nowadays to escape all the scrutinies of uh, worldwide economists, statisticians, etc. Because, you know, nowadays we have data in real time. I, I mentioned that the Chinese economy is slowing. It's pretty evident because we have high frequency data. We are not just relying on the official data coming out from China. We actually have private sector surveys, right? Those are arguably more reliable because uh, it is, you know, bypassing the government uh, statistic channel. They're actually directly gathering data from private companies. So I would say, you know, nowadays it's not easy to just lie about all the data. I mean, I, I can't say if there isn't any manipulation, but I, I think, you know, with the data so widely available, subject to so much scrutiny, you know, I, I really doubt they can manipulate to a large extent. Uh, that's an interesting reply. And actually, I have heard that some of these big international financial institutions take a lot of care to get the information from China. They look at satellite photographs, they uh, record the movements of trains and boats and so on to try to find out yeah. how much <laughs> is actually being exported. Yeah, exactly. You, you really have lots of tools nowadays to help you with all these analysis. Now, you've been watching the reaction of the financial markets as all this rather bad news from China about COVID has been released. What did you notice? Yeah, I mean, the global financial market is affected by many factors. I think China is one of them. And obviously, the recent months we're talking about is all affected by the Ukraine war, right? So I think a lot of it is about that and the relation to commodity prices. We have seen a surge in um, across the board in the commodity space. So China played a role uh, as in uh, in terms of the COVID zero strategy. I think markets are worried that you know China is the biggest commodity importer and consumer in the world. So obviously, if China's economy were to slow and a uh, you know major cities were shut down, of course the demand for commodities was slow. And most notably, oil prices have fallen quite sharply on the news of the Shanghai lockdown. Um, generally speaking, financial markets have actually been recovering in the past uh, two weeks, interestingly. Uh, I think because uh, people are digesting the news of a more hawkish Federal Reserve and also kind of expecting some sort of de-escalation in the Ukraine situation. I find that very interesting that there's a connection between these lockdowns in Shanghai and the global commodity prices. So basically, if China is using less oil because people can't go outdoors, the overall price of oil globally could come down. From an investment point of view, is that something that you would welcome? 
Uh, well, interestingly, maybe now it is the case because I think uh, oil prices has been in huge focus. Uh, a lot of people say oil price is a wild card for markets and also for inflation, which is absolutely true. It directly fits into inflation calculation and it directly affects how central banks think, right? I mean, normally people would be uh, very, very uh, upset about a Chinese slowdown, but I think this time around it could be different because the key priority, the key concern for investors is actually higher oil price and high inflation. So if now actually China kind of slow down a bit and reduce the demand for oil, maybe as you said, it really it may be a good thing because what we saw is that, you know, uh, in the past couple of days, oil price have fallen from a peak of $140 per barrel. So it's about $110 now. So actually with that fall in oil prices, the equity markets have risen quite sharply. So I think there's a relation that, you know, the lower the oil prices, the higher the market. So uh, I think what you said has some, has some uh, reason behind that. Yeah. So in America, the US Federal Reserve and indeed other central banks around the world, they're raising interest rates in reaction to this heightened inflationary pressure. How is the People's Bank of China handling the situation? I think um, it is a completely different path that they're taking. Uh, but of course, that's because the US is facing a very high rate of inflation. And that's because they have been splashing out on checks, payment and stimulus measures, which China has not done as much uh, during the pandemic. So that's why China is not facing such a severe inflation pressure, which is a good thing. And of course, that allows China to keep its policy relatively neutral at the moment, unlike the Federal Reserve, which has to hike interest rate quite quickly this year and the next. So as a result, you know, the People's Bank of China actually managed to cut the reserve requirements ratio uh, a few times, although it is actually baby steps. Uh, I doubt that they're going to do anything more major because I think that they are very concerned about the high debt situation in China. So I will say um, China is in a good situation in terms of monetary policy because they still have the room to stimulate if they need to, which compared to the US, they, they just don't have any room. In fact, they have the tighten policy. So it's a very diverging path uh, the two economies are taking. I can see why some investors may be very worried about the situation in China, not just because of COVID, but uh, for political reasons as well. Um, yet with all the trouble caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, other parts of the world have also lost some of their appeal to investors as locations to put their money, haven't they? What's your view about the way in which investment funds will flow into various regions as we look ahead to the rest of 2022? Yeah, I think um, a lot of investors have got very frustrated and disappointed at China over the past two years, basically. So I think what's happening now with the COVID zero strategy, with the slowing growth property sector is all just additional risk. But I think the key concern is definitely regulatory. And it, it has really hurt a lot of overseas investors. And it happened in such a quick way that uh, it caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, for example, uh, a few very prominent Chinese fund managers, they also have suffered huge decline in the uh, asset of their funds and huge outflow. And those are really experienced fund managers. So you can imagine the degree of surprise that, that the Chinese government has, has managed to cause people. So I think it is 
very hard to regain the trust that is being lost. And as you mentioned, the Ukraine situation adds to a bit more complication to the situation because that adds to geopolitical risk. So in, on top of the regulatory risk, you have the geopolitical risk, which could involve sanctions, right? And I mean, I don't think we are getting there, but if you're an investor who have invested in Russia and you have all your uh, assets being liquidated and you, you suffer a huge fall in your value, you would be thinking, you know, what about China? I mean, those countries are, are deeply associated. So even though you may not think it may happen, you have to build some risk premium in your calculation. So I think that would further deter investors uh, into China. So I think uh, it, it will take a long time for people to rebuild their trust in investing in Chinese assets. We're drawing matters to a close, but I want to ask finally whether in your view, do you think it's likely that China is going to be drawn into secondary sanctions relating to its position over Russia's actions in Ukraine? I wouldn't say there is zero risk. There's always a risk, but I think that probability is low at the moment. I think from the recent uh, rhetoric of high-level Chinese officials, they don't want to be associated with the war in Russia. Um, they have not condemned it, but equally they don't want to associate with it. Um, they were asking for peace. And uh, it seems to us that China would be very, very cautious in handling the matter. And um, so I don't think that China would voluntarily be involved and accordingly have the chance to get caught in secondary sanctions. However, it, it is a very tricky situation because I think investors, they would be thinking ahead anyway. Though, even though they may not think it will happen, they would be definitely building their risk premium around investing in China because you cannot assign a zero risk. It is a terrorist. So if that happens, even though the probability is very low, if that happens, it would be disastrous looking, you know, read across the, what happened to Russian assets. So I think uh, my view is it, it probably won't happen, but equally we can't completely dismiss the idea. And so people would remain very, very cautious. Thanks, Janet. These are difficult times for businesses and investors, and you've helped to outline the risks very clearly. That was Janet Mew, Head of Market Analysis from Bruin Dolphin. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.